Hello, students. Welcome to Detention. I am everyone's favorite co-host, The Caleb G., but tonight I am Professor Crunch, and in that role, it is my job to take care of you hooligans that have gotten yourself stuck here after hours in the RPG Academy. Tonight, to help me out, I have brought with me a voice you know and love, Scott. How are we doing tonight, Scott? Hey, pretty good, kids out there in Radio Land. Pretty good. Now, now, uh, do we do we just gently discipline the students, or or can I get uh, really deep in there? And I mean, I I believe the rule on the wall says, "Don't touch the kids." Right. Right. So, so but only mentally discipline them. Only mentally, yes. Mental scarring is always acceptable. Perfect. And tonight, to balance out the group here, we have a very special guest. He is the man with the plan, the boss of us all, the one whose tweets wake us up in the middle of the night, full of incomprehensible grammatical mishmash. Professor Fluff Michael, how are we doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing fine and dandy, sir. Thank you. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Let's just jump right into it. We will start with our first segment, Extracurricular. So uh, what's been going on outside of the academy here, guys? What have you been up to? Some of us have been into boob tubery. Whoa. Uh, This is a kid's show here, Scott. I'm not touching them. Oh, okay. That's fine. That's fine. Wait, not touching the boobs or not touching the kids? Or the kids' Uh, boobs? uh, Either at the moment. Does that count? I'll allow it. (laughs) Okay. I believe what we are uh, alluding to here is that you've been watching Stranger Things on Netflix. Yes, yes. It's uh, it's the stranger danger that you can't live without. Now, I have yet to jump into binging Stranger Things. I've just been a little bit busy with work recently. But uh, I know Michael has watched the entire thing. And Scott, I think you've watched most of it, right? That's true. I'm, I'm just waiting for the twist ending where it turns out the butler did it. So uh, I'll let you guys have a chat about this. Let's uh, let's jump into Stranger Things. What's it like? It's awesome. I mean, it's really, really good. That no no need to elaborate on that. It's just awesome and really well, good. No no details, no exposition. It's awesome. I, well, I, wanted to, right. I wanted to give Scott a chance to jump in. Oh, I I don't know. I mean, it was assigned reading for me for this detention. So I originally wanted to drag through it with all the enthusiasm that you would like a French foreign film that you'd gotten the cliff notes to already, but you had to watch it in case like Gerard Depardieu, like, um, you know, winked at some point and that became a test question. <laughs> but that said, it did turn out to be uh, pretty good. A little close to home for me, being a former employee of a national laboratory and all. <laughs> but So you're the bad guy. What can I say? We. I mean, uh, we've always suspected what Scott does outside of the academy. I guess we have some insight now. I, I, I will say, uh, I don't think that their experiments with children would have met with Institutional Review Board IRB approval. I bet they would have declined that due to risks, you know, side effects, things of that nature. So yeah. well, as for me, I'm, I know I'm older than Caleb. I think I'm older than Scott. Uh, I'm 41. Where are you? got like 30 something yeah 30 something so yep. for me this hits a very sweet spot for my childhood i mean it's just it is 
the movie Daryl mixed with E.T., with a sprinkle of explorers, and a little bit of Goonies in there. And it doesn't hurt that one of the main characters is named Mike, who is the DM of the group of people that play. So I totally was invested in this story instantly. I absolutely love it. And it is it is clearly a love letter, in my mind, to Dungeons & Dragons. Uh, you know, we're not really going to get into a lot of spoilers, but the but D&D and the mythos of D&D plays very heavily throughout the entire show, and it kind of bookends it very well as well. And I just, I mean, it, it was one of those things that it's the type of story I could see myself being in if I was a, a movie character. I mean, just, I don't know how to explain it. It's awesome, and I love it. I, uh, I, I think I could second Michael's endorsement. It, it is very engaging. It is very, like, it is very engaging. It's very, like, 1980s, um, you know, television movie that, that you'd watch in the middle of the day because you were home, like, vaguely sick, quote-unquote, on a Thursday or something, right? It's, uh, it's the kind of thing where you expect to see VHS tracking marks across it, right? It has that sort of effects. It has an amazing soundtrack, very Electronica, that was really drawn in. I'm adoring the cast so far, and they're delivering really compelling performances. I think um, whoever cast it did miraculous work because uh, everyone's everyone's doing pretty well. And these are the a kids, lot of, even they're kid actors, but they're really good. Like all the kid actors are amazing. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 delivering. They're uh, they they have emotional range more than one, which is really rare with kid actors. I've seen at least two types of yelling. I think that's uh, pretty deep. No eyebrow acting, which is my fault with all the early Harry Potter movies. Every time Draco Malfoy tries to be menacing, he just arches his eyebrows aggressively at you. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, these kids are just doing such an amazing job in their roles. And, and again, I don't want to get into too much spoilers, one, just because Scott hasn't seen it all. But there are some places where they kind of subvert your expectations. And it's like, oh, so this is that character, but then they don't just do that. And I, I don't I mean, and Winona Ryder. I mean, I don't know that we, the kids are doing a great job, but Winona Ryder is knocking it out of the freaking park playing the mom who lost a child and will not give up on this child. Everyone thinks she's crazy because she thinks he's, you know, still alive. And it just, I, man, she's so compelling. You know, what I will say on that point is that as the latchkey kid, during the uh, 90s, I watched my fair share of Lifetime uh, movies, middle of the day things, that where the, the, the woman lost her kid and she would never give up on them. One, one uh, uh, wonderful point that this show has given us so far is that she's not the only one. It's not her against the universe, right? She's not the only one convinced that something strange is happening. It's, it's not, you know, there's Agent Mulder and then uh, a bunch of straight gay characters who, who don't, uh, you know, uh, believe anything's happening or know anything's going on or admit anything. It's it's the that that several characters are waking up and finding different parts of that, and I've really enjoyed that part because it makes um, her tension as as this character who's been driven to the edge a lot more, um, a lot less cringeworthy, maybe a lot. Uh, easier to watch because she has some support, some emotional backup from people rather than everyone just thinking she's crazy and abandoning her. I also find it very interesting, and this again probably will develop more, but there's basically like three parallel storylines that are, they're all moving in the same direction, but they're not really aware of each other. So you have the, the, the kids 
one of their friends goes missing. That's kind of the uh, instigating incident. And those kids are also thinking that he's still around. They're trying to find him. Then you have like the high schooler level who are doing the high schooler levelly things, but then they also get brought into this mystery. And then you have the parent slash cop who are working together, looking at it as a true missing person or maybe like a kidnapping and they're working and all three of these stories are kind of parallel and on the same track and not until closer to the end they start kind of weaving together and i just i find that's a very interesting storytelling device you know you i've, I've i hadn't uh, thought to break it up by those age gaps but you're absolutely right that breaks into three pretty easy scenes where uh the characters day to day are really inter- involved between the, the the age blocks right there's there's dependencies there's support going both directions but but they are having distinct stories and you're absolutely right that that's compelling narratively not only because they have support on their own age tier but because they are uh thoroughly involved it's it's not a complete gap between the tiers so the uh the one thing and this isn't really necessarily a negative but the the older brother of the kid who goes missing i can't remember his character's name does not look like a high schooler like he's probably the only one to me that really is like wow i mean he's he's not supposed to be he's not in high school i thought he still was cuz he goes to the school uh, a couple times he actually uses their photo lab department a couple times yeah some somehow i I'd, I'd guessed because he doesn't look like a high schooler i I'd, I'd assumed that he was the kid who graduated but because it's the 80s right not everyone goes on to college uh, and so he was just hanging around working a lot to support his mom and he still used the photo lab cuz photo geeks are going to come in and use the lab that may be and he's just a year and too he said out. it really was a negative but what i'll say is that he looks like Winona Ryder's son so, like, age-wise, mm. I wasn't exactly buying it, but when there's a couple scenes where they're together, and I could totally buy that he is the son of, of her character. So, again, I just, whoever did the casting is A+, and I'll, I'll mirror what you said. The, uh, the sort of synth soundtrack is so 80s. The, the way it comes on, like the screen, the, the words, that neon, mm-hmm. oh, my God, it's so perfectly 80s it's it's, it's, wonderful. it's wonderful it's it's very much akin to like halt and catch fire on amc if you watch that it's very much akin to um all oh, that that hitler movie that came out kung fury yes it's very much akin to kung fury it's it's um it's really right in that vein it's 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 good production so caleb i keep waiting for you to ask us uh to tell you what the show's about basics how many people are in it what genre is it is it a mystery well you know I've got some context clues here, and there's also this wonderful thing called the internet. So, Have, have you been I asking know, Jeeves again? Uh, I actually did a uh, Yahoo search for Ooh. Ask Jeeves. You're trusting took, Verizon to find Ask Jeeves for you. And then he took me to a Geosites that was all about Stranger Things. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I know a, a good bit about it, but honestly, I don't want to dig into a lot of the details because I do really want to watch it fresh when I get time to watch it. I know it is an 80s period drama slash mystery slash supernatural thriller. Obviously, there's uh, a lot of awesome cultural references. D&D plays a big part. So I'm excited. I'm going to watch it. I I just haven't had time. It is, again, it's obviously we're praising it quite heavily. It's definitely worth watching. And I would like to revisit it once Scott's finished it and hopefully Caleb's finished it so we can talk about 
all of it and some of the ways it wraps back around. And, you know, there are some criticisms I have, though there are minor, but I don't want to get, I just, you know, I, I probably have already spoiled more than I intended to. So I'll try to just refrain from that. But I, I absolutely loved it. So happy I watched it. The only thing is I'm not sure if I really want a direct sequel or if I would prefer an anthology where they just take different, different story, but sort of in the same style, the same people, the casting director, writer type of thing, and just do another one, but not necessarily a continuation. So yeah, I, I had assumed that, that, I mean, I haven't seen the last episodes, but I'm really waiting for the Department of Energy to sweep in and save the day, right? Capes on their backs and E's on their chests and the whole thing. And then I assume the sequel is a lot of bureaucratic pandering and filling out paperwork for the you know Environmental Protection Act about the impact statements of this uh, new energy resource, things like that. No, no comment. Okay. Wonderful. Well, you know, I think that is a uh, a good bit of extracurricular there. Why don't we move on to used books? Uh, in this segment, we bring up a, an old campaign or campaign idea and talk about it, maybe to give people some inspiration for something new. Uh, since you're the guest here today, Michael, do you have an old campaign you'd like to share? Maybe a, a campaign that died that you didn't get to finish like to hit a couple details on? <laughs> well, we've actually uh, mapped out a couple of those from the show. Um, and I, actually, I think I've even mentioned this before on the actual show, but one of the, the ones I can remember most is back, uh, this was when I played with my, with my original friends, Bill, Brandon, and Joe, back, uh, this is probably grade school, maybe early high school. And we were going to do a level 1 through 20 campaign. They all started at first level, and I gave them all artifact equivalent magic items and they basically got hired by a wizard that they had to go and kill one of everything in the monster manual and i didn't say it that way but basically he wanted to create a potion he was evil they didn't know that at least not at first he was trying to make himself immortal and he needed the hearts from all these various creatures and it was a way for us just just to do very episodic let's just flip open the book and you know this is what you got to kill this week and i'd make up some uh, dumb little um encounter you know sort of you know one day campaign thing and they would go and fight the thing and try to kill it but what i remember most and this is what again what goes back i love about stranger things is they play D in the opening scene and they get the rules wrong but i think that's intentional because everyone got the rules wrong back in the 80s when we were playing D. &D. we didn't know what we were doing and uh i remember to this day when they finally realized that the wizard was bad they decided to kill him and in my mind, he was, like, super powerful. Like, I didn't even have stats for him. He was just, like, super powerful. There's no way that they could kill him. But I'd given them these crazy powerful magic items. And one of them was a bow that, when you pull the string back, it would just create an arrow of anything that you thought. So if you thought of fire, it would shoot a fire arrow. If you thought of ice, it would shoot an ice arrow. And so Joe decided to make, like, a poison arrow that would instantly kill the bad guy. And I scoffed. I literally scoffed and said, uh, I would have to roll a one on my, on my saving throw for him to die. And I just tossed that die in the middle of the fucking table like an asshole. Guess what? You rolled a one. I rolled a one. But here's the great thing. I read the rules wrong because in old style, rolling under your saving throw is what you wanted. So I should have said 20, but I didn't know that. I played the rules wrong and they killed my super high powerful magic user. So did you guys actually get 
uh, through level 20 killing everything, or did this showdown happen really early? Yeah, this was like level four or five. I mean, it was like way early. I wasn't very good at being a subtle evil mastermind. Uh, I was trying to railroad the crap out of them, so I would be like, just go do this thing for me. And they were like, no, because you know they were grade schoolers and they didn't like railroading. So yeah, the, it was very, very early on. Rejecting authority is fun, kids. <laughs> Tell your parents. Defy the man. So why did the campaign fall apart? Because they killed the main, the, the main instigator, and I had nothing after that. They killed your big bad evil guy, and the big bad evil guy was the campaign. Yeah, pretty much. That was the entire campaign, was him. And you didn't think of raising him as a lich or a ghost or something like that? A lich ghost? A, a, a lich ghost? A, nope. a pirate a lich vampire ghost? lich no, ghost. I was... I was too busy scoffing <laughs> as I tossed my D20 in the middle of the table. Let that be a listen to you kids. Never roll open. <laughs> you know, I don't much anymore. <laughs> mm. Especially because we all play on the internet and no one can see anything that happens. Which is why we should just start Twitch streaming. That way everyone can see my uh, delightfully patterned chest hair. Oh, we'd have to actually... Get dressed if we were going to Twitch stream? I don't want to do it then. Uh, I guess they do have a new shirts policy. Yeah. 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 All right. So that was was a pretty good dead campaign. I I think we can see some fun things to happen in there. Uh, And lesson learned, if you need your bad guy to stay alive, he stays alive. He magically has the right bonus he needs in this exact moment. Uh, So let's move on to our final segment here, and this is our class review. So uh, we are going through all the classes in Dungeons & Dragons. We're starting with the typical four-party, the most classic uh, class combo that exists out there. We've done Fighter. We've done Rogue. Why don't we move on to Clerics? So... uh, what do we what do we think about clerics here, gentlemen? Uh, I really like the the interpretation of this latest edition. They're one of the few classes that gets more than three sort of paths, um, and and I enjoy that. I enjoy the fact that that their domains um, have become almost more fully featured, more fully fleshed out, more integrated. They they basically give them a, a feed or two in addition to the to the regular list of domain spells. Uh, so I've enjoyed that transition. I've always been a big fan of the cleric class. Uh, Not the first character I ever played, but the first character that I ever played for an extended campaign starting at level one and moving through a big chunk of the story was a cleric. So that character is still very near and dear to my heart. And I, I still really like the cleric class because of that. Um, I like the options of basically wading into battle as a tank, not to do a lot of damage, but to support your allies. I like the focus on fighting the undead and basically being super good at that one thing, but still also being really good at healing and buffs and debuffs and occasionally being to dish out some uh, some mace damage from behind your plate mail and shield. I think it's really interesting that 
with most classes, you kind of think of a couple different versions when you picture what a typical member of that class looks like. But a cleric is always a dude in plate mail with a shield and a mace. Always. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I feel like that's one of the disadvantages of the class, at least, I mean, prior to 4th edition. I, I don't know how you survived, but... But the, the cleric was always the number one NPC class in uh, any of my growing up games because no one wanted to play the cleric. Y- you were just a bag of healing. And if you tried to play it different, we would browbeat you until you started playing it as a bag of healing or you abandoned it as an NPC and brought in your damn ranger. You know, <laughs> it was broken in Thaco and so you could do gobs of damage and then we just use this heal bucket over here who'd, you know, mysteriously not have to roll to save versus any fireballs and then pour stuff into us so we could adventure more that day in uh in a very very old game when i was first learning to play uh, a fella that would later become our gm played a cleric and he played a scumbag he would run around and loot bodies he would be like oh yep this guy's dead hey look over there steal 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 i don't know what happened it was awesome like we in the moment it was you're you're a cleric be a cleric but in retrospect, he was just role-playing the shit out of that character, and it was fantastic. So I kind of view clerics similar to like other types of magic in the games that I usually run that are kind of low magic. So the idea of being granted the powers of a deity that directly, I often played clerics when I did play them more like paladins. Kind of that ideology that I'm the chosen one. I can do this. You know, I can... I'll bring you back from from the dead. So I always like to play them as like sort of very arrogant and entitled up until they died, <laughs> which happened a lot. Honestly, my favorite kind of cleric was uh, always to play a cleric of Mistra to worship the god of arcane magic and then not be able to cast arcane magic yourself. It's like the saddest little wannabe ever. Like, oh, they're there. You get divine spells from the source of all arcane might. Isn't that cute? I had a character concept that I never fully got to realize, but I always wanted to. And it was a, um, a multi-class, or I think it was a dual class. This was like a, maybe second or first edition, where they were a cleric wizard. Uh, and at night, they cast spells as a plus one wizard. And during the day, they cast spells as a plus one cleric. And so they, so they went back and forth. So, like, if they were third level, at night, they would be a second-level cleric and a fourth-level wizard, and they switched. And I had this whole thing of this, like, astronomy thing worked out where they worshipped the sun and the moon. I never got a campaign where I got to play it, but I've always wanted to. I think it's cool that, as you said, Scott, in 5th edition, all the different domains give you all these different options of how to play a cleric. Clerics, for the most part, have always had that flavor of whatever they worship grants them something special. Uh, my best experiences with the cleric was in 3.5 D&D. And so they had the domains. And in that edition, the domains just gave you a lot of extra spells. And you would get a bonus feat or something kind of doofy like that. Sometimes it was very, very useless. 
proficiency with long swords. Right. Yeah. You always chose the elf cleric so you could use your long sword. Right. Or you'd get the war domain just so you could get yep. uh, weapon focus or something ridiculous like that if you were trying to min max or power game a little bit. But I always liked the options of the extra spell castings it gave you. Because a lot of times you could dabble in some arcane spells, even if they were at a lower caster level. Or you could get access to some really cool druid spells or something like that. So it it really helped flavor the character to be more than just the bag of, of regenerating hit points. But I was always clanking around in plate mail at the back of the party because my movement was cut down. And I would just rumble along and then then do something eventually. Um, But I think in 5th edition, clerics have been raised a little bit. They're a little bit more flexible. The the way proficiencies and armor and things work in 5th edition lets clerics be a more functioning party member. And the way domains work as archetypes give them, I think, actually more features compared to older iterations of a cleric. I think that even started with 4th edition, where they started letting you cast your healing as like a bonus action. So it wasn't your entire turn to heal someone. So you weren't just the heal bot. You could still do the thing you wanted to do and heal as well. And I think that was carried over into 5th edition. From a balance standpoint... I don't know if it's great, but I think from a do I like playing this class, it is. I think that was the the best innovation, actually, at least to my mind, of 4th edition was what it did to clerics. Uh, because I mentioned at my table, they were always the heal bag. Now you had heals that that were tied to making an attack roll. You, I hit this guy in the face, and also I heal everyone in my party. That's a single attack. Like, that's amazing. I, I, I enjoyed the heal through harming people model. It, it made it more engaging for me. There are some ways, though, where that's like sort of reality warping. Like when things like that started to, to, to build, there was a, I think it was my first Gen Con. We talked about this a while back. We played in a fourth edition game. And I don't exactly remember. I think I was playing a warden or I had a power that let me do that. And essentially we caused this guy to move all the way across the board without him ever moving because we kept doing a thing and then that would allow someone else to move. But he had actually fallen down. So in our mind, he was on his back like a turtle being slid around this <laughs> map. And like, it, was, it was fun, but it made no sense. I, I enjoy uh, every time someone goes like, you know, that really broke my immersion. In this game about magic and dragons and fairy tales, that the, the fact that that made no sense whatsoever. I'm like, really? <laughs> really? You, I mean... You, you, yeah, I, mean, I, I love getting down to that point of people can suspend their disbelief right up until this line, right? This very thick black marker line. And then after that, like, nope, nope, nope. I met a rich goblin. That was it. I, I was out. I, I couldn't understand this anymore. <laughs> so one of the other things we do here in this segment, we think about how this class can be duplicated or represented in other genres or other mechanical systems On one hand, it's kind of easy because a cleric typically equates to a doctor, right? So if you're in a modern setting, you've got doctors uh, or healers of some sort. You're looking at me weird, Scott. Uh, I I don't know. I I mean, there's there's a big difference between shaman and deckers uh, versus clerics and, and mages, I think. The... Right, if, if you're talking about the suspension of disbelief, right? 
the fact that that a Decker can computer hack me and make me feel more robust in the middle of combat, or or uh, you know, a shaman can can contribute to the the magical energies of the ley line nearby, right, and bolster my morale. I, I, well, maybe maybe you're right. So maybe that is more the flavor. The intention might not carry it over, but in practice, they're kind of doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I don't know. I think that's more. Like the function is the same because the function of the cleric is to heal and the function of the doctor is to heal. But in my mind, the func- the flavor of a cleric is, again, touched by God, given a purpose, the wise counselor. And I don't know that a doctor always mirrors that, but there may not be a great analog in certain systems. I definitely agree. Uh, when I picture a cleric, I think of healing right off the bat. But second, I think of divine protection, divine guidance, just a, a connection to the divine. You know, in, in all of these segments, we've discussed um, at least one system where your entire party is composed of that. Uh, have, have you guys ever played Anomaly? Because everyone's a cleric. First and foremost, you are angels embodied in the land here fighting the holy war against, uh, you know, uh, the four souls. It's, it's, uh, it's a fun system. I, uh, I, I played a, a short-lived, tragically, but extremely imbalanced campaign, and it was really fun. Interesting. And, you know, I guess you could argue that some of the uh, Powered by Apocalypse games, you are playing divine creatures in an unholy world. Uh, apocaly- it's almost unfair to bring up the apocalypse world system because there are so many playbooks written for it there could very easily be a playbook where it is just your all clerics done there's no uh metaphor or uh comparison it's just super simple i think if we're looking at any modern setting maybe with a little bit of an urban fantasy anytime we have the priest character uh as you know, someone to be the exorcist or someone to cast out the demon or banish the vampires, whatever, they are there to embody the concept of a connection to the divine, but they clearly are typically not a healer. They're there to just say, God does this bad thing. So that's part of being a cleric, sort of, depending on how you define it. Uh, Deadland, Savage Worlds, you have the miracle workers who can be a priest or rabbi or a nun and they do channel the divine spirit but in that game it's you know basically more of a modern jesus type religion uh versus like a fictional pantheon mythology type thing well i also think it's interesting that as we are exploring some of these other games to find the themes of what a cleric is not many of these games reflect magical healing. Dungeons and Dragons is one of the few games that says, here's a magical way to get your hit points back and be healthy and recover from X problem. In a lot of other role-playing games, maybe in the vein of trying to be, quote, more realistic or trying to, quote, stick to the flavor of the genre healing is very limited it's only natural it's might be supplemented by medicine or medical practice or 
maybe prayers or psychic focus or something can bolster it. Well, and and then the flip side of that coin is that in other systems, uh, hit points are meant to limit you or or pace an adventure in a different mm, way. Yeah. Rather than pacing you for, you know, one 10-second ten, ten encounter and then you're healed back up to full like was in 3rd edition. Or pacing you through a day is in 5th edition. You know, these are to pace you through a week or a month or however long it takes you to get back to civilization from the woods. It's, you know. I kind of feel like the healing of the cleric is a, stand, is a holdover from the original conception of D&D where when you, you got damaged, it was like one hit point a day. So if you lost 20 hit points, they thought you were going to be laid up for three weeks of game time. And to be honest, that's boring as shit. And most people would just hand wave it anyways. So I kind of feel like that was just a way to be like, okay, well, you can get magically healed so you can get back to the fun part quicker. And I don't know that we actually need that in the newer version. Like, I think you could have a game system just like D&D and remove magical healing because there's other ways to heal now second wind and short rest and long rest i i don't really know that you need it as much as if it's a, it's a holdover it's a sacred cow from the early days you know if only we had a cleric here right now we could bring back gary gygax and ask that's true well it's also really interesting that in more current editions of dungeons and dragons the contextual understanding of what hit points are have changed beyond just changing the pacing, beyond being a essentially a resource to manage through your encounters, now hit points are more like stamina. When I was first learning to play Dungeons & Dragons, if I took five hit points, I was bleeding. If I took ten hit points, I may have gotten a chunk taken out of my leg or my arm. That's what the GM described to me. He's like, yeah, the, the goblin connects. You have a huge chunk taken out of your shoulder. You're bleeding everywhere. You took 10 points of damage. And I accepted it. I didn't think that was odd or strange. And then when the cleric said, ding, you're better, I said, oh, great. The skin all just regrew and the muscles came back from nowhere. Thank you, deity. Everything was hunky-dory. Yeah, and then they came out with the martial class, and they had to be like, oh, this can also represent an abstract quantity of morale, where any kind of leader can come up and pat you on the back and... Oh, what, what, wasn't one of you guys telling me a st- an anecdote about a uh, uh, somebody who y- you guys didn't know they were a cleric the entire time? You thought they were a fighter through the whole campaign, and they'd always curse you out at the end of every encounter. But it turns out that's how they cast their healing, and they had this secret with the DM <laughs> the entire campaign. And then the very end, they revealed this because you know you, the, the the ultimate plot was that they were going to take down this god, and and it turned out they were a deity of the god or something. And then there was this weird change up. It wasn't my story. Not mine either, but that's a great goddamn story. And I apologize for the blogger I just forgot about and totally ripped that off from. Uh, email all complaints to Caleb or Michael at therpgacademy.com. <laughs> so I, I think it's safe to say that the cleric is very firmly grounded in the fantasy Dungeons & Dragons genre. Almost specifically to Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, healers exist in other mythos and genres, but the the core functionality, as we see in D&D, is pretty unique to that system. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I love playing a cleric, but translating that idea to other games, 
to other settings, to other genres. You're only getting bits and pieces of what the cleric is when we compare it to D&D. You're right. It is, it is a very D&D trope. Cool. Well, uh, that was another episode of Detention from myself, everyone at the RPG Academy Network. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Cool. Well, anything else we want to say about the cleric here tonight? If you want to have St. Cuthbert do your laundry for you, cleric's a great choice. Miracle all day, every day. Bing! Clean laundry. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGAcademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at vrpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google Plus at vrpgacademy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.